What do we mean when we say, I had a sinking feeling? Have you ever used that phrase? (laughs) I had a sinking feeling. I walked into the room and I had a sinking feeling. Walking out of the room, I had a sinking feeling. When I saw her or him, uh, all of a sudden I had a sinking feeling. In most cases, the phrase means that though your circumstances seem okay now, there is a growing or deepening sense within you that there is a change coming. And a change for the worse is what I mean. I had a, I had a sinking feeling. So even if you've never used that phrase before, have you ever had that kind of feeling? I bet you have. I have no doubt that you have. In Psalm 19, King David says that God's Word is to be desired more than gold. Even much fine gold. If you were walking down the street today and you saw a gold bar laying next to the road, would you pick it up? You absolutely would pick it up. And then what would you do with it afterwards? Right? Would you toss it in the back of your car? You know, would you walk in and throw it on top and throw it in your junk drawer <laughs> at home? <laughs> no, no, you'd go and you'd be like, oh, wow. You'd put it somewhere safe. You put it under your mattress. I don't know what you'd do. You'd take it down to the bank. You'd do whatever. You would with care and attention and, you know, you would give all your attention to that gold bar. God's word is to be desired more than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also, says the psalmist, than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's Psalm 19, verse 10. Let's turn to this treasure together. Let's turn to God's Word and consider what it tells us this morning about that sinking feeling that we often have. But but this is specifically a sinking feeling that comes from what we might call spiritual distraction. Spiritual distraction. So turn over, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. The story that we are looking at this morning is a very well-known story. It takes place right after Jesus. has He's miraculously fed thousands of people using just five loaves and two fish. And then in verse 22, we learn what takes place right after that after the crowds have dispersed the people that Jesus has fed. The Gospel writer tells us that, 14.22, immediately He, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side. Crossing back over, I believe, from east to west, going back to Capernaum on the north, north part of the Sea of Galilee. So, He sent them to the other side while He dismissed the crowds. Verse 23, And after He had dismissed the crowds, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. When evening came, He was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Can you picture that in your head? The wind blowing down on the Sea of Galilee, stirring up the waves. The waves are crashing in the wrong direction, right? They're going this direction. The waves are crashing against them as they're trying to row in uh, in that direction. 
Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. In the fourth watch of the night, He, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were, duh, terrified. They were terrified at what they were seeing. They said, it's a ghost! It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered Him, Lord, if it is You, command me to come to You on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out His hand and took hold of Him, saying to Him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. So, there's lots of questions that we could raise about this passage. Again, it's a well-known passage, right? You see it even in popular media, the idea of walking on water. I've heard that in numerous numerous times in movies or some reference to walking on water. Usually with walking on water and turning water to wine, those are kind of the two that I hear get a lot of traction out there in terms of the miracles of Jesus. But there are many questions we could bring to this. Here's the question I want us to ask. Why is it here? Why is this story here? John, uh, one of the men in the boat that night, would write these words many decades later. He said in John 21-25, Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So you know that we're just getting apart a little bit. <laughs> Of, of all the things that Jesus did and said. We're getting exactly what God wanted us to have. We're getting exactly what we need to have by the wisdom of God, by the grace of God. But we know it's not everything that Jesus did and said. This is not an exhaustive... Comp- the Gospels are not an exhaustive, comprehensive record of everything that He said and did. So, when these writers were writing, we have to then ask the question, why did they include this or that? Why did they see fit of some of the things that they knew? No, they knew the stories they knew. Why did they see fit to include this story or that story, this account or that account? So, um, let me suggest two reasons why they included this. Okay, why this story is here? If we can think about why this story is here, that's where we that's where we're on much firmer ground to then say, why does it matter? What is God trying to say to me through this? So here's the first reason. Let me suggest this. First of all, the story powerfully reminds us that there is no one like Jesus. The story powerfully reminds us that there is no one like Jesus. Okay, when you think about this account, does it remind you of another story from the Gospels? 
Anybody want to take a, a, a stab at it? No? It should because only six chapters earlier, that's so from our reading, not last week, but the week before that, we encountered an equally well-known story about Jesus in the midst of rough waters. There is another one. This story is found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Both of these stories are also found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 4, 35 through 41, 4, 35 through 41, and Mark 6, 45 through 52. So they're both there and then also in Matthew. The difference, of course, is that in the earlier account, Jesus was not walking on the water. He was instead asleep in the boat. He was asleep in the boat. Now you're remembering that story, aren't you? We could focus on that difference, but we may miss just how similar these two stories really are. Here's a list that I put together just of eight similarities between the two stories. Take a look. Both accounts involve the disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, number one. Number two, in both stories, the waters were turbulent. There's a focus on the wind, the wind and the waves here. Number three, in both accounts, the disciples are afraid. Number four, both stories include a cry to be saved or rescued in light of the rough waters. Number five, in both stories, Jesus has a supernatural interaction with the turbulent waters. Number six, in both, Jesus asks a question about doubt using the phrase, Oh, you of little faith. Number seven, both the accounts end with nature calmed or quieted and they end with the disciples in awe of Jesus' divinity. That's not just an accident. This isn't just an accident that they're so, they're very, very similar. Why point out these similarities? Because we need to see that they are God's double witness to the power or authority that Jesus has over the natural world, no matter how turbulent, no matter how chaotic it is. Twice, God is reassuring us, right? Using the same materials, the same element, elements, a very similar script for both of these stories. Twice, He is driving it home to us to say, you see how crazy this is out here? Jesus is Lord over this. His authority is over that chaos. This, of course, is not surprising to us if, in fact, we believe what Paul would later write about Jesus. Take a look on the screen. He told the disciples of Jesus in Colossae that by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So His mastery over the water, His mastery over the wind should not be surprising. But it should still be jaw-dropping. It should still be mind-blowing. It should still be awe-inspiring. So take a moment, believer. Take a moment, friend. Take a moment... And remind yourself of this doubly confirmed truth. 
no matter how chaotic the world around me seems, Jesus can walk on water. Jesus can walk on water. He can stroll through the storm. He can turn the wind on and off as He sees fit. That's your Lord. He's your King. He's your Redeemer. This is the power of the One you call Master and Brother. He is the one, the power of the One you call Lord and Savior, King and Shepherd. This is Him. Amen? He is ours and we are His. Twice confirmed. Are we learning that lesson that God is emphasizing again? Right? Do the disciples learn it? It's not unusual, is it? Right? Jesus fed the 5,000 and then what happened after that? He fed 4,000. It happened again. You see those doublets and Matthew is, Matthew is particularly interested in stories that have the doublets. Right? Not one blind man healed. It's two blind men who were healed. Right? He's really interested in that idea. Why is that? Because of the principle, the Hebraic principle that comes right out of the Old Testament. A truth, a matter is established by the testimony of two to three witnesses. And so when you see these things, these doublets, God is saying, I am confirming this. Right? I'm confirming this to you. That's why the ultimate attestation in Scripture it's not ver- verily, verily, or amen, amen, I say to you. It is holy, holy, holy. Three times. That we, ha- we should be just to our knees knowing there is, there is no doubt about that truth that God is holy. So He is driving this point home to us about Jesus' Lordship. His authority over the turbulent waters. Now, there's another reason I believe Matthew included this version of the story. Because this version of the story is different. It's different than Mark 6. It's different than John 6. This story is also found in the Gospel of John. Did you know that? It's much shorter there too. Each, each, uh, and Mark's a little bit shorter than this one. But Matthew includes this version of the story. If the first reason was that this story powerfully reminds us that there's no one like Jesus then we should also note that number two, second, the story reassuringly reminds us that everyone is like Peter. Right? We see Peter and we see us. Or we could say Peter is like all of us in this story. So it's helpful to note that through the story, sorry, that though it's found in Mark 6 and John 6, Matthew's account of Jesus walking on the water is the only one that includes this part about Peter getting out of the boat. The other, the other gospels do not include this. This is unique to the gospel of Matthew. So why did Matthew include this version? Right? He knew, I think we know that he knew, there's very good arguments to be made that he knew Mark. He knew the gospel of Mark. He knew the story that was there, but he knew of a tradition, an oral tradition that had this element with Peter as well. This, this part about Peter. So why did he include this? Well, if we think about verses 27 through 31, and you can just scan over those in your Bible or on your Bible app, look at verses 27 through 31 of Matthew 14. If we think about how they're put together, 
there seems to be a similar order or pattern repeated here. This is what I mean. Take a look here on the screen. Look at the elements that make up the parts of this passage. So focus first on one half, the front half of it, which is Matthew 14, 27 through 29. What we see here, we see in verse 27, Peter witnesses something powerful. Verse 28, Peter calls to Jesus. Verse 29a, the first part, Jesus responds to Peter. And then the last part of verse 29, Peter's faith is in the spotlights. Now, if we go forward one slide, we're going to go to verses 30 and 31 and look at the structure of verses 30 through 31. It's exactly the same. Peter witnesses something powerful. Peter calls to Jesus. Jesus responds to Peter. Peter's faith is in the spotlight. Now, when we kind of understand how this is put together, how the writer put it together, we're then asking, why is it put together like this? Why do we see the repeated elements? Well, we're seeing a change here because though the pattern's repeated, there are major differences between these two parts, aren't there? <laughs> you just read the story, you know it's major difference from the beginning of that story to the end of that story. Uh, at the end of verse 29, Peter's faith is expressed in actually getting out of the boat and amazingly like Jesus walking on the water. Yeah, that guy, Peter. You remember him? Peter? <laughs> Peter, full of bluster, full of all of his Peterishness, <laughs> gets out. He's a fisherman too, so he's grown up on the water. He gets out and he's walking on the water. But at the end of verse 31, what's happening? Peter's faith suddenly becomes weak. It suddenly becomes insufficient. Well, how, how can we make that judgment on Peter's faith? Because he goes from walking on the water to sinking into the water. Visually, we're seeing the degradation of his faith. Something has changed, right? Whatever he had over here that he gained, he's losing it here because he's, he's visually just sinking right down into the water. And of course, we can make that judgment because Jesus Christ Himself makes that very judgment. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You went from faith to doubt. So what explains the shift between the two parts of this section? Again, the pattern was very similar, but we see a major shift. It goes from like, wow, that's cool, to oh no, what just happened in that situation? Well, this again is where the structure comes in. This structure that you see on the screen. It's that first point in the pattern. Do you see it? It's that first point. It's the contrast between verse 27 and the first half of verse 30. What did Peter witness in verse 30 that was so powerful? Well, the Gospel writer tells us that when he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. What does it mean that he saw the wind? I, I can't see the wind. Can you see the wind? We can't usually see the wind. What we see are the effects of the wind. And I think that's exactly what it means here. It's the point being emphasized in verse 24 when it says the wind was against them. Right? The, uh, the wind was beating the waves against their boats. 
So what he's seen when it says he saw the wind, he's seen these turbulent waters. He's seen these swells. He's seen the water jump up around him. If you've ever been out in a serious storm, when we used to do men's camp, my, 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 my boys can tell you that one of those times that we were up there, it rained. I don't know if you remember that, Steve, when it was raining on us. Steve would just bring a cot and just kind of lay out next to his truck and just sleep outside. But not that night because it was raining and we were in this little tent. We were in this tent, the three of it, me and my two boys. And there was water coming in and it was like, oh, it was a little scary. It was a little crazy to be in that tent in the middle of a thunderstorm up underneath the, the Mogollon Rim. But if you've ever been out in a serious storm like that, or you've ever watched video of a hurricane ravaging a coastal neighborhood, or if you've ever been pinned down and tossed around by a riptide in the ocean, and anyone ever been there? It's scary. Yeah, because it will hold you under. That tide will hold you down under the water. And you, you can't do much except try to go limp and let it kind of take you where it needs to take you. But when you are aware of these things, you then know from personal experience there is real power in the wind and the waves. Real power. It's no joke if you've been out there. But, and here's the most important point, does that power compare to the power that Jesus demonstrates in this account? The answer is clearly no. That power cannot compare to what Jesus does here. In contrast to the very familiar power of the wind and the waves, and these guys do it. They grew up around it. They knew what storms were like. They knew what squalls were like. The, the turbulent waters of the Sea of Galilee. He, Peter knew this. In contrast to the familiar power of the wind and the waves, in verse 27, Peter witnesses something along with the other disciples, something so stunning, something so radically unique that it inspires him to get out of the boats. He witnesses the Son of God as Lord over the wind and the waves. Brothers and sisters, he was literally and figuratively over the waters. Your Lord, your Savior, Jesus. Did the power of the wind and waves, did it really compare to the power demonstrated by Jesus Christ? It did not. Jesus made it very clear that He was in charge in that situation, not the wind and the waves. He was in charge in that situation. I can feel confident in saying that Jesus, what Jesus was doing by walking out to them or walking alongside them on the sea, what He was doing in this story was not simply a party trick. Hey, look what I can do, you guys! Hey, look at this! Is this crazy or what? It's not what He was doing. Right? He wasn't highlighting a better mode of travel through rough waters. I'm going to get there before you. Have fun rowing, you guys. And he just like walking past. No, he was, what he was doing there that night is the exact same thing that he's doing here right now this morning. What he was doing there is what he's doing here. He was working on their faith. Christ was in the garden cultivating their faith. Right? He was weeding it, working up the soil, adding nutrients, watering it. He was, 
He was nurturing their faith. The very same thing He's doing here. And for Peter specifically, that meant an even more intense experience. A more advanced test. One that Peter would never, ever, ever forget. Who else could tell you what it felt like to walk on water? Jesus, our Lord. Yeah, we know that. But other than that, just Peter. There's no one else on the planet who can tell you what that feels like. He went through this very advanced... He would never forget this. And when that test was over, what happened? Look at verse 32 again. It's it's an easy verse to overlook. It says, And when they, Jesus and Peter, got into the boat, what happened? Wind ceased. Right? Pencils down. Test is over. (laughs) Lesson is over. Again, Jesus Lord on and off with the wind. There was a reason for it. When what happened with Peter happened, it was over, they got into the boat. No need for that wind anymore. It's all done. Time to, time to move ahead. Brothers and sisters, remember how I summarized that last point. I said this story reassuringly reminds us that everyone is like Peter, or I guess we could say Peter is just like everyone else, like all of us. In what way is Peter like us? In what way are we like Peter? In that all of us have and will experience that sinking feeling that comes from what we might call spiritual distraction. We've experienced that. You've experienced that. Let's unpack that concept just a bit by thinking here in closing about how this story should inspire you and me. What, how does it teach us here? In light of our two points this morning, let's think about this. We're going to add three more kind of application points. Number one, take a look. It starts with a clear view of a powerful Jesus. It starts with a clear view of a powerful Jesus. I ask you in love this morning, is the Jesus you follow big enough? Is the Jesus you follow big enough? I'm not talking about the reality of Jesus apart from us, the objective reality. I'm talking about your conception of Him. Does your Jesus sink or get blown about with your feelings? Because if he does, that's not Jesus. Does he sink into or get blown around with your feelings? That's not Jesus. Or is he over the wind and the waves of your life? Is he over those situations? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. In truth, that's Jesus. Not over the wind and the waves as in up there far away, but with you there on the sea, walking on the water, steady, unmoved in the face of the headwinds that you're enduring. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus of sacred Scripture. That's Jesus as He actually is. Jesus confirmed His identity in verse 27. Do you see that? And He speaks to us there. He confirmed His identity. 
And He speaks to us there just as He spoke to Peter. And maybe it's exactly what you need to hear this morning from the lips of your Lord or from the lips of the One, the voice of the One who you need to come to. He says, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do you hear Him this morning? Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Because maybe you're questioning. Maybe you're wondering. Like, I'm going through this Jesus right now and I don't recognize any of this. I haven't been through this before. This is scaring me. It's not familiar. I'm going through this right now. Are you here? Is this, is this something you're doing? And Jesus says, Take heart. It is I. Right? I'm in this. Be encouraged. Take heart. Don't be afraid. I'm here. This is what I'm doing. But let's not forget how Peter's view of Jesus, this clear view of a powerful Jesus, how it inspired him to faith-filled action. This leads us to point number two. Getting out of the boat means moving toward Jesus. Getting out of the boat means moving toward Jesus. Even though Peter struggled and stumbled in many ways, right? We, in two, in two chapters from now, we will see where Jesus will say to him, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. Right? Speaking to just the, the pivotal way, foundational way that Peter would be used by God. You just read the book of Acts and it's, it's all true. He was the one who got up on the day of Pentecost and gave this message. He was the one who went to the Samaritans. He's the one who went to the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, the Roman soldier, the centurion. He was used in a pivotal way to help lay the foundation for the church. That's Peter. But then go forward another number of chapters, right? And what do we find happening with Peter? we find him denying Jesus three times that he even knows Jesus. So though he struggled, he stumbled in many ways, the Gospel accounts give us glimpses of a faith in Peter that really should inspire us. When you see Jesus as He is, eyes of faith, when you see Jesus as He is, when through the Scriptures you see where He is, and what He's doing, and where He's going through, through Scripture, when you see that, the faith of a faithful disciple should also cry out, Lord, command me to come to You. So if I see Jesus caring for people, not dismissing them, but walking alongside of them, then I want to say, Lord, command me to come to You. I want to be where You are. I want to be where you are. Even though it's scary. Even though it's hard. You're there. I want to be there. Command me to come to you that I might be where you are, that I might be like you, even when being like you seems impossible to me. Command me to come to you. So getting out of the boat is not simply stepping out in faith to move beyond where you're comfortable. I've heard many sermons and things like that about that idea of like, hey, you need to get out of the boat in this or that situation. That's true. I'm not saying that that's not true. And some of us are real comfortable in the boat. 
We're not willing to, to, to get out and say, I'm doing something here that is going to require just a kind of faith maybe that I've never experienced. That's true, but we want to add to that. We want to make sure we're clear about what it means. It also must be, it must be stepping out in faith in Christ to move toward Christ. Not just to accomplish what you want, what, what you've said is kind of your faith goal for the month or the year. It's to move toward Christ like we see here. Command me to come to you, Jesus. I want to be with you out there in the, in the turbulent waters. Right? I want to be closer to you in that place. Yes, it might be in a particular circumstance, a particular relationship. It might be in this or that way, but it's always moving toward Christ. This getting out of the boat, the kind of faith that Peter exemplifies here. So I ask you, in what ways is Jesus calling you to come to Him on the water? Brother, sister, fellow disciple, you may know it, right? It's already in, it's, it's already there in the forefront of your mind, the way that He's calling you, because you've been wrestling and fighting, fighting Him on it. But He's saying, I want you to come to me on the water. But Lord, on the water, come on, that's dangerous. If I go out there, I'm just gonna sink right down. And He says, no. I can hold you up. Right? You can do, you can do what you, thought was impossible. You can go beyond where you are now. Not by your own power, but because I'm there. Because you're coming to me. I will be with you. So, in what ways, brother, sister, is Jesus calling you to come to Him on the water, that place of absolute trust? And finally, number three, if you look away, cry out, then rest it in his rescue. If you look away, then cry out, then rest in, uh, cry out, then rest in his rescue. You will get, I will get spiritually distracted. I guarantee it. <laughs> Is that strange? Are you like the worst Christian on the planet if you get spiritually distracted? That's par for the course. That's just part of the Christian life. That's why some of these stories in the Gospels are just so precious because they help us to see that though these guys would become apostles of Jesus, Apostle, capital A, the Apostle Peter, now coming into the arena, it's the Apostle, Apostle Peter. You know, like here he comes, and, and here comes the Andrew, and here comes John or whatever, and you're like, these guys are like the superstars. These are the franchise players of the kingdom of God. And we put them out there, but we read these stories, and we go, oh, these guys are just as dumb as I am. Right? Like, these guys are just as distracted and worldly at times as I am. These guys are so, these guys are just as doubt-filled as I am at times. And yet, Jesus loves them. Jesus is there for them. It's reassuring, isn't it? It helps us. It encourages us to know that and see that Peter sinking down. I don't want him to sink down, but he's sinking down. Other things will, at times, seem more powerful in your life than Jesus. More daunting. 
more threatening, more dangerous, power over you. And when that happens, we'll be tempted to fixate on those things. Spiritual distraction to turn our eyes away from Christ. That's when that doubt leads to the sinking feeling of life out of step with the Gospel, out of step with God's will. Ever been there spiritually? I bet you have. You feel it, don't you? It's a sinking feeling of being out of step with the One who made you, the God who loves you. Out of step with the Gospel of Jesus, believer. But no matter how you get there, no matter how far you think you've sunk, right? There's water now coming in and your nose, just your little nostril holes are above the water. That's how deep under you are. It doesn't matter because Jesus is right there with you. Like Peter, we can always call out to Jesus confident in the very same response that we find here in verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out His hand and took hold of Him. He didn't stand there loading it over Peter like this. Ha, yeah, yeah, look what's happening now. Look what's, Oh yeah, you want to look at the wind and the waves? Okay, I'm going to give you just a minute to think about your choices today as you're going under. Right? And then get like 10 seconds later, yank him out of the water. He cried out. Jesus was there. Pulled him immediately back up. We need to remind each other, brothers and sisters, that the one who walked on water is the very same Savior. Our Savior. But the one who walked on water is the very same Savior who sank under and was drowned by the waves of death for you and me. Is He for us? Absolutely. If He who gave His Son for you, right? He gladly gave His Son. He did not spare His Son for you. Then how will He not also graciously give you all things that you need? Why wouldn't Jesus pull you up out? The, the same love that pulled Jesus, pulled Peter up out of that sink, that sinking direction that he was going back into the water, right? That same love was the love that Jesus perfectly displayed on the cross to raise us out of the, 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 the depths of death, spiritual death. He did that. How? By sinking himself under the waves, drowned under the wrath of God, under death for us. We can be reassured, can't we, that He loves us, that He will rescue us when we surrender to Him. So, the cross and the empty tomb, if you think that walking on water is impressive, then we need to remind each other that the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus provide an even greater testimony of His power, of His authority. It's one thing to walk on the water and cause the wind to cease. It's another thing to defeat death. It's another thing to be able to pay the price for billions right, of sinners. To carry and satisfy the wrath of a holy and just God. 
and to do so in a way that is effective for all eternity, leading to our transformation and glorification that we could be with God forever and ever and ever. Wow. When you think about that and you think about the power of Christ in that way, what He did at the cross and the empty tomb, then the walking on water almost seems like a parlor trick at that point. (laughs) It's still very impressive, mind you. But, stunning. That's what I think Jesus meant when He said, you shall do greater things than these. Right? Are you impressed by what I'm doing, the miracles? You shall do greater than this. Right? I don't think he meant that they're going to do greater miracles like I'm going to do, I'm going to raise 10 dead, dead people at once or I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to heal five blind guys at the same time. No, what he was telling them is you're going to be able to speak words of life to people. They're going to accomplish spiritual redemption in their life. They're going to be transferred, transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. They would be able to do that Right? The loosing and binding of the gospel that he talked about. Forgiveness of sins. Ministered through the gospel message. That's radical. That's way more impressive than healing a blind man. Although again, healing a blind man is very impressive. But we need to think bigger. Those blind eyes will one day be in in a casket. Lazarus was raised up. Jairus' daughter was raised up just to die again and be put back into the ground. I can't tell you when, what age they were, but they went back into the ground. But what we bring, brothers and sisters, what God has hopefully brought into your life is eternal life forever and ever and ever reconciled to the God who made you. Stunning, isn't it? It's amazing. Let's remind each other of these things. So when we surrender to Him in faith, trusting Him to not only keep us from drowning but also trusting Him to empower us to do the impossible, to do as He did, we can then find reassurance that we too can rise above the waters. That we too, with Jesus, can experience rest in that boat. In that boat, that place where the winds cease in that place where there is worship of the Son of God. Is that where you want to be? I want to be there. Let's pray and give thanks to God for what He secured, what He's made possible, and let's pray for our rich experience of that through faith, by grace through faith.